Pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit, and just open our minds and our eyes, the eyes of our heart, to see Jesus yet again and draw us deeper and deeper into the way of life that he calls us to. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Sunday's sermon this past Sunday, I said a phrase toward the end of it that belief leads to worship. There's that moment in Thomas's life where he sees Jesus for who he is, he believes in him, and he, he makes that great confession, my Lord and my God. And so we see this intimate connection between belief in Jesus and worship. Belief leads to worship. But I think we need to be careful as I was thinking more about that phrase in my sermon. Because that word worship can kind of conjure up uh, Sundays and Wednesdays, if we're not careful. The idea that worship is really restricted to the hour and 15 minutes or the hour or the 45 minutes, depending on how long the service goes or the sermon goes. That we restrict worship to that time where we're in church or where we're doing something particularly spiritual. But I think this is a a truncated version of worship. I I don't want to disregard the special place that the gathered worship of the community takes in the Christian life. That's very important. It's, it's kind of the height of our life together, I would say. But we need to expand a bit our definition of worship. Because the resurrection doesn't just change the apostles' religious practices. It changes their whole lives, everything about them, the whole new way of living that they live into. We get subtle hints of this, one hint in our Acts reading, but all throughout Acts we get a subtle hint. In uh, verse 20 of chapter 5 that we read, if you notice, if you open your Bibles, I'm sure it's in there, the word is this life. And the word life is capitalized. That's a translator's decision. That's not in the Greek. The Greek doesn't have capital or lowercase letters. It's all just capital letters all running together. And so translators make a lot of decisions that influence a little bit of interpretation. It's very trustworthy. But that, that idea that this life, capital L, is something new and it's something all-encompassing. We see this more in Acts when translators, again, will capitalize the way. Five times in the book of Acts... Christianity, this this pattern of living life together that the first disciples were practicing, is simply called the way. And it seems like that's the earliest description or one of the earliest descriptions, one of the earliest names we have for the church, for following the way of Jesus. Right? What, what does that mean? Right? What, what do you mean the way? Well, it's, it's a, a new way of life. It's a whole new pattern of living that they're doing together. Belief leads to worship Because true belief in Jesus leads to a transformed life, one in which we're slowly but surely changed from the inside out by the Holy Spirit to live all of our lives, not just Sundays and Wednesdays and Wednesday mornings or whatever, take your spiritual time, but all of our lives under the Lordship of Jesus. That's part of what I think Paul is getting after in Romans 12 when he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your, with apologies to Lane, spiritual worship. We get into that this morning because uh, there are a couple ways you could translate that phrase, spiritual worship. The King James says reasonable service. This idea that um, it makes sense what you're supposed to do when you recognize how good God is in spite of your sinfulness, when you recognize how much God loves you in spite of your failures, 
It is the proper, appropriate, reasonable response to live out all of your life in gratitude and thanksgiving for that. Which is why Paul says that. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice that, that Paul foregrounds the mercies of God in that. Really, it's, it's a recognition that the mercies of God are what's driving the Christian life, not the other way around, that we're living the Christian life in order to earn the mercies of God. Worship is a response to God's prior gracious action in Jesus. Pope Benedict comments on this passage in the book that we've been reading, which has been just excellent for the Inklings on Wednesday mornings. I want to read a quote from him. Paul is the heir to the desire for true worship, in which man himself becomes the glory of God, living in adoration with his whole being. In this sense, he says to the Romans, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. Paul thus repeats what he pointed out in chapter 3. The time of animal sacrifices, substitute sacrifices, is over. The time has come for true worship. However, here there is a danger of misunderstanding. One might easily interpret this new worship in a moralistic sense. In offering our life, we ourselves become true worship. In this way, worship with animals would be replaced by moralism. Man himself would do everything on his own with his own moral strength. And that was certainly not Paul's intention. However, the question remains, how therefore can we interpret this reasonable or spiritual worship? Paul always presumes that we are all one in Jesus, Galatians 3, that we died in baptism, Romans, and that we now live with Christ, for Christ, and in Christ. In this union, and only in this way, we are able to become in Him and with Him a living sacrifice to offer true worship. In communion with Christ, realized in faith and in the sacraments, despite all our inadequacies, we truly become a living sacrifice and true worship is achieved. True worship flows out of communion with Christ, and it involves all of life with Christ, for Christ, and in Christ, as Benedict says. I think that's part of what Paul is getting at in Romans 10 when he says it's kind of one of those bumper sticker verses. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Eating and drinking, they're, they're so normal, they're so just every day, that it really gets down to the core of what worship is. That even something as, as small as having a meal by yourself or with a community, with friends or family, something as insignificant as one single meal can still be done to the glory of God. Which means that if, if everyday life can be done to the glory of God, then everything can be done to the glory of God. Not just the sliver of time on Sundays or Wednesdays or what have you. So I think we might need to expand a little bit our definition of worship. Someone who might help with that is Archbishop William Temple, who has a pretty good definition of worship that I found online. This is what he says, Worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. 
It's the quickening of the conscience by, by his holiness, the nourishment of the mind with his truth, the purifying of the imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of the will to his purpose. And all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable, and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centeredness which is our original sin and source of all actual sin. So yes, belief leads to worship. But worship must be defined by a completely transformed life, always grounded in God's prior work for us, done in union with Christ, and completed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.